Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know, I could dunk a basketball in eighth grade. I was running, playing running backs, and I was scoring touchdowns in eighth grade. Uh, I was more of an offensive player than I was a defense player in, in junior high. And I was more, had more success, I would say, as an offense because I scored more touchdowns and touched the ball. I did a lot more things um, on that side of the ball than I did on defense. As you get older and you get playing, as you play more, my freshman, sophomore year, the game starts slowing down a little bit. And you're like, whoa, man, I think I could be very good at maybe varsity. You know, as a sophomore and then um, the all district, et cetera. You had to set goals, right, as you go. And I never thought, never, ever, in my wildest dream, I would think that I would ever play college football. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Hey, Dad, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays? It really defines my root to where, you know, where I came from. Um, I think I'm a proud Vietnamese American. Um, I think Vietnamese um, being Vietnamese descent and American, I think uh, really define who I am. I have um, learned so much uh, through my 40 plus years of um, on this earth and um, I wouldn't be prouder to say that I'm Vietnamese American uh, just because of um, what I have learned, work ethic, um, faith. Um, was it always like that for you? You know, I think when you get older, you you just learn and, and you just go and you accept certain things and you, you know, things that, you know, I'm not the perfect saint. I, you know, there's things that I do that I wish I didn't do or, uh, that experience, um, but it's part of, um, you know, your life you go through that's good and bad, but um, I'm just, you know, for my parents to do what they did to, um, if you didn't know the story, they left in 1975, mom was five months pregnant with myself and um, I have five other siblings, uh, oldest was 12, all the way down to my mom being pregnant and my brother was being one years old, leaving Vietnam to come to America for an opportunity. So, um, you know, I don't know. I had that. I would have that courage uh, at 30 years old uh, for what my dad did. Uh, if I think back, think about, you know, I have my family and we had to do the same thing. I guess I would have to do that. But you know, you're talking about how much courage it took for him and my mom to uh, make that decision. Where Where did they land when they got here? Uh, so we got here. We got Fort. Uh, we, we got into uh, Camp Pennington, and then we uh, flew into um, Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. That's where I was born, at a refugee camp there in Arkansas. 
Yeah, and then you guys uh, made your way down to Texas. Yeah, so uh, obviously in the in Vietnam we were in the uh, shrimping business, uh, the fishing industry. Uh, my when we dispersed from uh, Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, we had some family went to all parts of the country. Some went to um, New Orleans, other went to California. Some went to East Coast. Um, some of our family were down in Rockport, which um, we finally settled in Rockport. It's a small fishing industry or town. And um, some of our relatives were down there. So my, really my, my dad's, my mom's family were down there. So we, we went down there and uh, we settled down there. Ironically, um, we live in that small town of Vietnam called Binda, right? And uh, translation of Binda is Port of Rock. And uh, we settled in a small town of Rockport wow. <laughs> for the last 40 plus years. Uh, so it's kind of ironic how God uh, sent us uh, to certain places. Mm. And, and it was uh, pretty, pretty um, ironic. And, and when you when the family arrived at uh, Rockport, they started getting back into the shrimping business right away. Well, that's all we knew. And, um, and as we had to build uh, really work together. We didn't have much. We live in government housing. Uh, mom was working at restaurants. Her aunt, all my ladies, all the really all the ladies were working at the restaurants, and all the guys were fishermen. So that's all they know or knew what to do or how to do. So uh, so they got together, and all the money that they saved, they bought the boat together. And uh, what they did was that distribute, they distributed the profits to every, each family. So I think it was like four or five family per boat. And it's not a big boat, but uh, they went out and they worked seven days a week uh, and, uh, and tried to put food on the table and put clothes on our back. And, and then eventually, um, as years goes on, they were, willing, they were able to save some more and move out of uh, where we were and gave, our, gave the kids a, a little bit of more opportunities. Right. And what was it like for you growing up? Do you remember, you know, the, your first memories of, of coming up um, in Rockport? <laughs> I remember what my mom said was, uh, I remember elementary, I guess I was really kindergarten. And uh, what my mom um, said before I went to school, she said, whatever you do, just make sure you um, stay close to your brothers and your sisters and your relatives Cause we didn't know there was a lot of tension going on during that time. And as a kid, you didn't know much, you know what I mean? I didn't know. I was like, man, I just want to go play recess and, and run around and, and, and jump on a monkey bar or, or get on the swing, whatever it is. Um, and, um, and I think um, that's what I remember. And uh, for me to experience at a young age, I think um, you know, it's hard to get trust uh, to earn trust. And, and I think, you know, we weren't really felt accepted during that time. And I was in the 75, 77, uh, so 79 when I went to school. So really, during that time, it was hard. It was very, very hard for our family. And, and I bet you, without faith, uh, there was every night there was question mark and doubts of did we make the right decision to yeah. come over to America. And, and in high school, were you a big kid already? <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I, um, I got big one summer, I guess, what, what, what's up, like seventh grade, eighth grade. I got, but eighth grade, I got, I was bigger than a lot of my friends. I was five, five, nine and a half, um, probably 180 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, my mom, as we did the shrimping business, obviously, 
my mom got into the restaurant business when she was working by multiple jobs at restaurants and she decided she was just going to have my own restaurant. So I saved up a lot of money and built the restaurant, I guess, uh, when I was in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, maybe fifth grade, sixth grade uh, for a few years. And uh, we opened up a restaurant. It was a Chinese buffet and, and you know, it was a lot of traffic. But as you know, buffet, uh, there's not much margin of profits. Right. And uh, my mom always said uh, when I got yeah, seventh and eighth grade, and I was you know, bigger than all my Asian friends. Uh, my mom was saying, "Man, you ate me out of business." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we got out of the restaurant business for a little bit, especially the buffet. She knew the buffet wasn't a good idea. Yeah, we had traffic, but uh, the profit margin was so small. So yeah. um, so we decided to uh, leave that for a little bit. Uh, but I was such a bigger than my friends, and I thought it was gonna be the next Shaquille O'Neal, man. You know, and hanging out with my boys because I was so much bigger than all my Asian friends, and I was playing basketball, and I liked basketball, and um, I was decent at it. But uh, I thought I was gonna tower all those guys and just keep growing. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I stopped about five eleven, some change. So I'm gonna move about another inch or so after that. Yeah, but you said one eighty <clears throat> at. Uh in seventh eighth grade yeah, eighth grade yeah, eighth grade i was a big boy yeah yeah that's I was, um, big yeah yeah i played linebacker and i played fullback and um i was a big i was a good sized kid i was you know i was 230 pounds in college uh, in high school you know before when before i even went to college i played at 230 235 in high school so i, I played much bigger and then i had to lose weight when i got to a and uh to be able to get some speed and quickness and all that and and have muscles instead of just a lot of baby fat yeah, so at seventh grade, you're 180, 190. Did you feel like, like athletically, you were heads above the other kids already? You know, I could dunk a basketball in eighth grade. Um, you know, I, I, I played, yeah, I, I guess I was much bigger. I, I really was just a more, I don't know, God gave me the ability. I was quick. I was not the fastest guy out there, but I was running, playing bunny backs, and I was scoring touchdowns. In eighth grade, uh, I was more of an offensive player than I was a defensive player in in junior high. I was more had more success, I would say, as an offense because I scored more touchdowns and Tennis, touched the yeah. ball and did a lot more things um, on that side of the ball than I did on defense. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it came. It, I don't know. It came naturally. I think it just came as it went on. You were just a football player. You didn't know how good you were going to be because you didn't have any other Asian American to look up to. You know, I think it was Michael Chang was the only tennis. one during that time, you know, and then tennis. And I was like, oh, wow. And then you start watching sports and now you start watching football. And as you get older and you get play, as you play more, my freshman, sophomore year, the game starts slowing down a little bit. And you're like, oh, man, I think I could be very good at maybe varsity, you know, as a sophomore and then um, the all district, et cetera. You have set goals, right, as you go. And I never thought, never, ever, in my wildest dream, I would think that I would ever play college football and really? play so division one football yeah yeah you so you didn't even think about that in high school i don't know no no we don't see what's crazy kenneth was that you know nowadays we have facebook we have instagram we have all this right. social media we have all these all these uh recruiting websites and we didn't have all that back then man so i was a late late bloomer i think everybody had the recruiting visit everybody did all that stuff and I didn't get recruited till December 1st, man. I get a knock on the door. First thing in the morning, just eight o'clock in the morning, get a knock on the door. We opened the doors. The head coach of the University of Michigan flew 3,000 miles away from Michigan and Auburn to come and visit me. 
because we sent out some tape. My high school coach made some highlight tape and he sent it off and they were interested. So they came down and uh, she looks caught me off guard too, because they didn't, we didn't have phone calls because mom, you know, mom was doing the rosary every night, but when the phone rings, boy, she's hanging it up. She ain't picking that thing up. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, I don't know how many, how many head coaches or coaches that called our house during the recruiting process. My mom just hung up when she's in the middle of her, her, her rosary. So, but so I was like, I was like, whoa, what did we do here? Our head coach is here, the recruiting coordinator, Cam Cameron was there. And then I had to call my cousin. I said, hey, my cousin was a pioneer of uh, high school football for Vietnamese American. You know, his name is Han No. He was, a, he played a three technique. He, he was a little bit bigger, uh, but he played, he's really opened up the, the door for all of us that were playing during that time. And um, so I called him over, I go, hey, you busy? He said, no. I said, hey, I need you to come over. Gary Moley's here. He goes, who? I said, Gary Moley from University of Michigan. He said, no way. So he runs over, because you know, in a small town of Rockport, man, everybody lives about five minutes away from each other. Um, we So he comes over and he's like, oh, he was at, he was you know, starstruck. You know, he's like, damn, this is a guy I watch on TV, you know what I mean, <laughs> with the University of Michigan uh, on Saturday. So uh, he sat, we talked, and he's translating to mom and dad because they don't know what's going on. And, they, you know, they're saying, oh, we want him to come up to visit to Michigan. We'll give him a scholarship, pay for his school. My mom's like, man, what the heck? No way. I put your sisters to school and to college. I know how expensive that is, and, and there's nobody's going to pay for your education. And you can play, play ball. football. I know I'm talking about I was playing football, like what the hell, football, you know what I mean? They went to two games my whole high school career, uh, my junior year, my senior year, both were parents' night. They they don't understand the game. And uh, and, and that was kind of funny, but um, but about five days, or I guess uh, 10 days later, or nine days later, was the December 10th, uh, I flew out to Michigan for my first recruiting trip. First, I flew a plane, first time I flew on the plane, first time I saw snow, first time I ate lobster. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is unreal. Treating you like royalty. I was there with Charles Woodson, the late Daryl Russell, Sean Springs. Man, you're like, all these recruiting class, the same class that we were in, all these guys were who's who around the country. I didn't know because I didn't, you know, I was, I was from a small town, didn't have much history of the game of football. Didn't know what recruiting was like, too. So um, I go to the game, watch the Fat Five. Uh, Chris Weber just left, really fat five minus Chris Weber, played Duke. Front row seats, man, watching the game. I was like, wow, this guy, I'm, I'm going hey, to go blue. I'm amazing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming back in the fall. I'm, I'm going to play for Michigan. Da, 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 da. So, so I'll fly back home. I'm cloud nine. Talk to my high school coach. He's, he's so asked about the trip and how did it go. I was like, man, it was unbelievable. Da, 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 da. I'm going to be going to Michigan. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Hold, hold your horses, son. He goes, uh, you got four more official visits that's paid for. Pick four more school and go. I know it's going to be hard because we play Friday night football. They're going to fly you out after the game. Uh, so I decided to go down to UCLA. You know, I flew out to UCLA. Um, Terry Donahue, the late Terry Donahue, was the, co- was the, was the head coach during that time. Uh, Mike Wynn, who was African-American, Vietnamese, and half African-American and half Vietnamese, he was playing receiver for UCLA during that time for J- with J.J. Stokes. Uh, they were going to the... Um, the uh, bowl game, uh, the Rose Bowl. So we flew out there. I understand this is late now. Sign mm-hmm. date is, is the first week of February. So this is all in of Jan- in of um, the week before Christmas, really, that um, I'm flying out to UCLA. And uh, Mike was my host. We had a good time. And uh, Mike was funny because Mike's like, hey, you know, Jackie Robinson started this African-American 
deal. You and I come here, we'll start to be Asian American. <laughs> so uh, he goes, man, 30% of the student student enrollment are Asian. You fit right in. And so, so he's trying to sell me all this stuff, but uh, you know, it, it goes back to the same thing. I flew in a plane, I saw sunshines and palm trees, and I ate lobster. <laughs> I was like, man, what's the common denominator here? What's going on? <laughs> so um, I came back home and it was Christmas and the following week was July, well, January, I guess it was January, a few days after January, I flew out to uh, Austin. So University of Texas, my next visit. So I went there and, and we had a good time. All of who's who of Texas was in at, at, the, at this recruiting trip and um, ate way, way too much Earl Campbell sausages. Uh, so I think I got sick from there, but then I was supposed to go to Notre Dame. Obviously, mom was Catholic. We were thinking about Notre Dame was a, was in fourth school. And then we decided, uh, no, I decided that I'm going to go to A&M instead. So I visited A&M and then um, went to A&M and I felt like A&M was, was somewhere that um, uh, okay. I so home. Th these are all big schools you, you, you went to. Why A&M? Wow. So I went to A&M and a and known for linebacker U. Uh, you know, they been hey all those coaches they are they are car salesmen man they know what to say they know what know what button to touch you know what i mean to press so so for me you know you're 17 years old man it's, it's like oh you come here you'll be the first vietnamese american ever to play the linebacker you of the south which is linebacker you the north is penn state so they were selling me all this stuff you're only three three hours away from home if things go bad or you want to go home you miss your mom's home cooking you can come home you just get in the car and go home, but you go to Michigan, 3,000 miles away. <laughs> ran it out there. There's no such thing as jumping in a car and just go home. Uh, so they were selling me all this stuff. And and where are you going to live when you graduate from, from Michigan? You're not going to live in Michigan. It's too cold up there. So you live in Texas, guess what? Networking, you're going to meet other Aggies and you have a better job. And at Texas A&M, after you graduate, people don't, you know what they call you when you, after you graduate? They call you boss. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so they did all this stuff to sell me, which, you know, I, I jumped right in it. You know, I was, I was believing it. I was bleeding it. And, and, at, and, and I think back now at 17 years old, you're overwhelmed. You know, I mean, you're yeah. tired. You're flying out. Just got Christmas, New Year's, and now you're flying out again. Uh, so you were tired going through the process. And now, hey, time is getting close. Signing day is around the corner. You know, what I mean, a week or two weeks from now, signing day, you got to make a decision. And I think that was the first time that I ever asked God to help me. Uh, I, I was like, man, I was 17. I was overwhelmed. I had so much stuff going on. I was like, I don't know where to go. All these schools are so good. And I said, just, just help me. And I'm going to go to sleep. And I was tired. Um, during that time, I was playing basketball, too. So, you know, I mean, we're going through basketball, which kind of helped uh, not think about it, but uh, but the process. And and I remember going to sleep and asking God. I said, hey, God, just just give me an answer. Just give me whatever word comes out of my mouth first. That's where I'm going to school. And uh, when I woke up that morning, it was like gigging Maggie's. And uh, Aggie Land was where I was going to be. And and I, I called the coaches, all the coaches the next that day. And with my high school coach, and we announced that hey, um, we were going to go to AM instead. So, um, but you know, going to AM, that was it was a great, great process of recruiting. Um, it was fun. I think uh, a lot of our family and friends it got to meet some of those coaches, and yeah. and um, they come and visit afterwards too. So think about when I went to recruit visit, I came back, and yeah, I was going to UCLA or whatever I needed to go, or Texas or AM. Excuse me. 
during that time, Michigan can still come and visit you. So they still come to the house. Mom has a feast. She cooked and, and hung out. And we got, you know, you just got to know people. And, and every time he was, um, he was Cam Cameron and Jim Herman both were, and Jim was the linebacker coach during that time. But, but, um, you know, they were at the house quite a bit. We got to know him and, um, it was, it was good. You know, it was a good, a great experience. And, um, Looking back, do you ever wonder what life would have been had you gone to UCLA or or Michigan or Notre Dame? Well, I'm thinking, I think I would have thrown up a red flag because a lot of people don't know the story of A&M either. So when I got to A&M, I, um, I show up, obviously no Facebook, no Instagram, no recruiting, all your website. So I show up and there's five linebackers that signed. And I was like, I'm sitting there in this auditorium. I was like, one, two, three, four, five. I was like, AM's known for a famous three, four defense, three defensive linemen, four linebackers. One of the linebackers can't play. He's not gonna play. It was me. I had a red shirt. I wasn't, remember I was 230 pounds. I wasn't I wasn't fast enough. I had a lot of baby fat. So shoot, man. Yeah, you you were the best thing since sliced bread, and now you show up and everybody out of 105 players that all were all district, all state, all American, et cetera, at their, at their schools, respective schools. So, so I was going to transfer. I was going to leave AM. I was going to quit football. I was like, golly, I'm the only Asian. Never, I'm never going to play at AM. I'm never going to be yeah, too good. These guys are too good. So that could easily happen to me at Michigan and UCLA. I would just do a flag and, uh, you know what I mean? And wouldn't play anymore. Wouldn't play football where, I came back home to a to Rockport and I'm, and I talked to my high school coach and um, I, he told me, he goes that um, athletically, your ability is going to end one day. Whether it's 18 years old or if it's 25 or it's 40, one day is going to decline. So I need you to go back to A&M, reevaluate your priorities. Football should be second. Academic should be first. You know, 17, 18 year old kid, man, you don't want to hear that. But guess what? I had to go back. I was like, man, he's right. But at that drive, the three hour drive back to College Station, as mad as I was, as frustrated as it was, as 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 um as hard as it was, you know, I thought about, man, hey, I just want to give myself an opportunity. Not many people in the position that I am in. There's only 25 of these guys that sign. I'm one of them. And every year, I think about 25 signs. That's, that's how many kids play high school football that are yeah. seniors. And, and so we did the math. I'm a very analytical person. But there's a time I, I'm just, you know, just thinking. And, 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 and I just thought about, well, I just got to re, reassess my body, my ability, or when I'm, what's my goal. So the guy that was in front of me was an All-American high school out of a recruiting class. He was a defense player of the year in the state of Texas. And uh, so I was like, man, he's going to be here for the next three years at least. And then he'll go to the pros, and then I will have a chance my senior year. So I'll contribute as a redshirt freshman, uh, sophomore, junior, and maybe my senior year, I, I have a chance to uh, start for the Redding Crew. That was my hope and goal. So I um, rescheduled my, my um, priorities. Um, six o'clock in the morning, I made, a, made, a, made myself go work out. Cause I knew I had to lose weight, uh, go to class at eight because I had to go to school, came back at lunchtime and worked out again because whatever I need to work on, if it's jump rope, if it's stretching, whatever it was I could find that I was going to do, what I was going to help me with my football ability. And then four o'clock I came back with the team 
and worked out for the whole year. I did that. I did that for the whole year. Remember, I was 235 pounds or so my high school year. So I got down to about 207. So I lost 20 plus 28 pounds or so uh, to give myself an opportunity. And I worked myself during that spring ball all the way up to be a backup to that guy, which uh, my goal was to be his backup. And um, and I was like, man, I'm excited. We're about to play LSU opening kickoff. Uh, it was a Wednesday, Saturday. We're about to play LSU. LSU had, you know, Anthony McFarland. You had Kenny Annis, uh, Eddie Kinnison. You had um, Kevin Falk. So they had some good, they had some squad. You know, they had some good players on that team. Uh, some studs. And uh, I, um, so that Wednesday practice, right after practice, um, R.C. Slocum uh, said, guys, let's get in the line. We're going to run sprints. So we're running sprints. And all of a sudden, the guy that was in front of me steps in a sprinkler head. Can't play. Can't start. That was my opportunity. Wow. And that's how I started my career. And um, and I knew after that game against LSU, I was able to play at that position and at that level. And I, I knew how hard I work for that opportunity. And uh, I was going to relinquish it. I was going to let him beat me. So um, we split time the whole year. And then um, I started the whole season. And then um, we moved him next to me the following season. So... Yeah, that's how my career started. That's how my football career started. If I went to UCLA or went to Michigan, done. I don't think I don't think I had that willpower like I did in the state of Texas or at AM. It was easier for me to drive home and talk to my coach instead of being on the phone talking to a coach. It's incredible how life happens. Mm-hmm. Right? It's uh Yeah, when I when I when I hear your story, I mean you know, there was a whole generation of us that looked up to you and said, oh, you know, he just like got to where he got and just, you know. Oh, yeah. Glide, no, you know, you glide uh, through. No. It... Who knew? Who knew that that was your, your you know, I mean. Well, I was going to transfer. I mean, I was going to quit. I was, I was, man, they used to call them. So Highway 6 runs right through College Station, A&M University to Houston and to Waco, uh, which is University of Baylor. Or Baylor University, and um, and the coaches always said when they, if they ask you a question, if you ask them the questions about what was Dad win like his freshman year, <laughs> he had the highway six look. You know, he's gone, <laughs> he's out of here, and, and there was a lot of us that um, didn't make it, and and I think that reality really hit when RC also said at the on that meeting at the auditorium that first day was that look to your right and look to your left. One of those guys not going to be here in three <laughs> years. And uh, it was true because we had 25 guys, and I think there was eight or nine of us that was left uh, in that class um, that senior year. You know, it, I, I, you know, you, as you know, American history uh, in football, you know, kids all over the country, you know, in the Midwest dream from day one, you know, high school, elementary school of, becoming somebody in the NFL or NBA or, you know, all these major league sort of um, at that level, you, you never dreamt of it. You never even thought about it. That was not an ambition that you had. No, it, it's kind of funny because um, I didn't have any role models, man. The most role models that I had, it was just, you know, I was just making up guys. I shoot basketball all day and I'd lower the rim and I was like, hey, I'm going to be Shaquille O'Neal. You know what I mean? You, you imitate those guys like those. But I never really had a role model. You you watch guys as, as I got older to my my junior and my senior year in college, you did more because you saw reality start hitting. Like 
oh, shoot, you might have a chance to play in the National Football League. So now you start watching the Sam Mills, you know, the Mike Singletary, the Zach Thomas, the Dexter Copley, guys that are smaller, undersized. And how do they get there? You know, a lot of them, they all have speed. And not all of them are speed. The Sam Mills wasn't the fastest guy. Zach Thomas, the fact that they just understand the game of football. And, and I think that's a thing that you watch and you learn. And, and you had to. You know, your athletic ability can only take you so far. But I was fortunate enough to um, learn the game, understand the game, and understand why, the big why of why the offense is doing what they do. You know, in anticipation of down and distance and situation in the game. All that stuff factors in as you only have a four-second really reaction. You got to react quick because the play only lasts about four seconds each play. Right. So, um, but I think that's, um, yeah, I didn't really dreamed about going to National Football League or think about if we made it until my senior year. Okay, uh-huh. walk me through that. What So what happens? I mean, through those four years, do you at, at, at any time do you go, okay, well, let me aim for the NFL and let me see if I can get there. Yeah. You know what you get like anybody, like anything you do, you, you dream, right? You, you have dreams and you all have to set goals and you reset your goals every year, which that's what I did. I, I every year, um, my first year I, I got under my belt, just had to stay healthy and make it through the season. Um, just don't give it a big play, right? Just, just don't give a big play. Whatever you do, don't, don't be the one to give it a big play. Cause if you get a big play where I was at, I was lose that position. The guy would take over and and they would say, hey, he's not going to be able to play. The next year, I was going to just make one big play a game. Ten tackles and one big play. That was my goal, just to make one big play. A tackle for loss, interception, whatever. So you set goals. In the second year, you do the same. You keep doing it consistently. Then you add up. You're like, man, so consistently the game slows down. And, and understanding the game formation, uh, yeah, we have different coordinators or different coaches that comes in. Uh, I think I had... Tommy Tuberville, Phil Bennett, Mike Hankwitz, and had four coaches in five years at AM. So uh, I had two coordinators, one coordinator, two, three coordinators uh, at defense. So we had some change. We had turnovers there. But I learned something from those guys, each of them. And, and I think that's one thing that was nice was that I was willing to learn and was able to learn and way to be picked up, even though a lot of people will be upset because oh man i don't know how what the coach wants or what the coach needs you know but everybody's coached differently and uh, and i think at the end of the day it's still see ball get ball you know you gotta figure out okay where's the ball i just gotta go get the ball where the ball is at right and and how do i get there and and um you know if, if, if i have some big offensive defense alignment in front of me and and if i need to get more angles i guess what i gotta get a little bit deeper and stuff like that things and and i think watching other players and, and and see other players and and i didn't realize this too when i got to the national football league man, i didn't realize how important using a hands were meaning every position except the quarterback position quarterback even you to throw the ball but running back you know what i mean your hands gripping the ball tucking it in high and tight stiff arm uh receivers hey how to get hands to get a release off a of db db with the hands on the court the receiver to to slow them down if it's a press coverage right Office lineman, defense lineman obviously has to use the hands. So you don't realize how important using your hands are. When you start, if you understand that, then you have a chance. Like at the young age, if you can learn to use your hand, disengage, engage and disengage as a defensive player, that's 90% of the battle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Get on and off, knowing your position, get to position. If the ball is committed, guess what? You find the ball. If it's on your gap, go get it. If not, 
get find a way to get there. It's kind of interesting how football um, is really taught. And so for me, I think a lot of it, a lot of my success is really good coaching that I had. And fortunately, I had to go through different coaches, but it allowed me to learn so much from those guys. Yeah, it, it really sounds like, uh, you know, not only do you have to have this physical side and motor skills uh, to play, but you really have to have this intellectual side. And I, and I, and I want to ask you, do you see a lot of players that came equipped with the talent but didn't have the mind? Oh yeah, there's, there's, um, it is. That's really, you know, there's a sign that says life is ten percent of what happens, and eighty-five or ninety percent is how you react to it, right? It's just, that's like football. That's like, it's like everything is a reaction. But if you don't anticipate or if you don't understand why they're doing it, you know what I mean? As as talented you can be or a God-given ability, if you can't function, meaning that. There's a lot of things to it too. Everybody's wired different. To make it to that level, you have to be wired a little bit differently than everybody else. Some way, okay. somehow, right? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Wired like, differently. Wired differently means hey, there's no pain. You have no pain tolerance. You know, play with a broken wrist. You know, I mean, there's things that happen, right? Like I play with a game, like, look, my fingers are broke, right? So this finger was like this. I think after a tackle, I got it was this way. So I pull it back. It's like, but it just every, everybody has a story. It's like, you're wired differently because you, the way you work and the way your mind is like, uh, you always want to get better. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's everybody's different though. Like, um, but we all have to be wired a little bit differently because it's not easy. You say, Hey, just like, Oh, I'm going to make international, you know, and there's very seldom you see a LeBron James, you know what I mean? A LeBron James is a guy that was high school, junior high. They know he was going to be a, a superstar and he's still a superstar. Look at him. You know what I mean? It's, but that's not all. That's not everybody. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant might be another one that you can say. Even a Kobe Bryant, a lot more easier than a basketball player than a football player. I think you could say, um, I might think one guy you say, hey, uh, he's going to be in the National Football League. You know, I tell you who it is. It's Namakan Sue. I was like, hey, okay, it was in eighth grade or whatever he was. You knew he's going to be in the National Football League. The way he's built, the way he is, and how powerful he is. You know what I mean? It's only a few players that you can say, you know, Adrian Peterson might be the other person as a running back. When he was in eighth grade high school, he, you knew he was going to be special. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's hard, man. It's just like, the, you know, you never know. Look at my opportunity. Look at my, the path, how I got there. Yeah. You know, if I, if, if that guy never steps on a sprinter head, <laughs> there's never been a that win. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's, there was never that one if there was no sprinkler head right there. And how the hell do you run into a sprinkler system? I don't know, but but that's crazy. It it is. And and maybe along the way to the NFL, uh, there was the sprinkler head story for you, or how did you get to the NFL? Was there an accident or maybe what happened? Well, you know what? It's it, you it's a I think it's when you because I was fortunate to coach in the National Football League for years with but three years with the Cowboys. So the process is not just, hey, it's overnight or it's one year. And I think it was because of the four years of um, of work and then the improvement they will in consistent. I think that's how I got drafted. It's just because they said, hey, he's reliable. We know what he is. He might not be the fastest, might not be the biggest. We'll give him a chance. You know what I mean? I was, I was graded as a fifth round draft pick because I can see the card, the number, hey, it's a fifth round grade on me, but they dropped me in third round, which we're lucky because all those, res- there's like 20 linebackers went before I did. I don't know if you remember that year in 1999. If you go back there, I bet you there's like 
Barry Gardner. I can go back to name all of them. Like the, there's a lot of guys that was drafted before me, but which was fine. But I understand it's a business side too. I was not 6'4", 250 pounds that plays that position because if you really think about how the NFL work, it's an investment. So if you draft a guy in the first round at 6'4", 250 pounds, if he doesn't play well in two, three years, you can still trade him for some draft pick, meaning six or seven, not much, but something, right? If you get a 5'10", 230-pound player, you draft in the first round, doesn't pan out. He was supposed to pan out. Why would you now you they lose out? You see? Yeah. So yeah. that's why they, they that's why they do what they do, and that's why they rank them because they think even though he might not be the most athletic or most whatever, but when they draft those guys in the first round, they think, hey, that's a no-brainer. He's yeah. the best player. But they know the value. You know, you go down the list of players that were traded, and and that's why. Usually it's measurables are the big part. And and for me, um uh, NFL was 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 thinking and dreaming on draft day. Um, but to hear your name called uh, late, late in the evening, I think that back then the draft was the uh, first three rounds, uh, 10 a.m. to like 8 p.m. or 8.30 p.m. I think 8, 8 p.m. I got a phone call from Jerry Jones and you know, we had some family members at the house. Mom was cooking and, and we got that phone call, man. It's like, you know, how does it feel to be a Dallas Cowboy? Oh. And uh, for me, I was like, golly, finally, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, amazing story, come to America, you know, play for the America sport, and now you got a chance to play for America's team. Uh, I was lucky and fortunate, not many players in the National Football League get a chance to play in the home state, all three levels, and, and I got a chance to do that. So, yeah, man, uh, it was athletic career-wise, it was been unbelievable ride. I, it's you know, I couldn't ask for anything better. Learned a lot through it. You know, a lot of ups and downs. Wish we won more games with the Cowboys, but uh, unfortunately, we didn't. Uh, but uh, what, what was Cowboys your game? your your first year like playing for the Cowboys? You know, it's um, you know, things were. I tell you, the first week I got to. Uh, so when you get drafted, the next week you have to go to mini camp. So we call that we call that it was in Chan Gailey was a coach that had an option to have a mini camp, so I had a mini camp. Um. You know, it's it's totally business. Uh, in college, it's more you got to still got to go to school, but you practice and you play games. But this is straight strictly business. And I can tell you, uh, when I got to the Cowboys, uh, the first I I encountered with was Darren Woodson. Darren Woodson is a uh, Ring of Honor, unbelievable All Pro player for the Dallas Cowboys. Safety, I learned a lot from him in my seven years with them. And uh, my first day, I met him. The first time I met Darren, Darren looked at me, go, "Hey, Dad, congratulations! Heck of a football player." Um, but just make sure one thing, you'll be a former player longer than you'll be a player. I was like, I didn't resonate with me early on as a friend, as a rookie. Wow. You'll be a you'll be a former player longer than you'll be a player. And um in a couple of years, or even that summer kind of resonate or after that that following year resonate a little bit more and realize, hey man, this is an opportunity. It goes by fast and and it'll end one day soon. So um so he's had the same work ethic and the same drive uh, early on. But uh, my first mini camp, I show up to uh, mini camp and the Cowboys playbook was about that thick. A&M playbook was about that thick. So every situation, everything you can think of, it was in that playbook. And and I didn't go through all of it. I just went through some. And and as we um, as we were going through the the seven on sevens and um, and uh, during the seven on seven, which is quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, um, 
and running backs versus um, linebackers, defensive backs, which are corners and, and safeties. And, uh, and we go call a play on offense and defense calls a play and you adjust and you react to what offense is trying to do. Uh, so um, halfway through seven on seven, I get a call, I get a name call. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, God, they didn't sound my name. So I looked over, it's the defensive coordinator, Dave Campbell. And he said, yeah, get in there. So I was like, oh, shoot, you know, I played 51 games at AM. I'm freaking all American. I, I, I was like, I know what I'm doing. So I'm running in, I run in, and I got the signal from Coach Campbell. So my back is turned to you guys, right? So you're the offense, I'm the defense. I got a signal, call, woke the huddle. And I look back. Freaking name's Troy Aikman. <laughs> I look behind him. It was Emmett Smith. Wow. I look to my right. It was Michael Irvin. They snapped the ball. I didn't even move. <laughs> I, was so, I was like, these guys, man, the triplets are on the field, man. This is crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, it's all uh, legends. That was my, yeah, that was my first encounter with uh, mini camp. Uh, but, man, that was such at all. You're talking about starstruck, man. You're talking about, are you kidding me? I'm on the freaking field with these three guys. And, you know, on top of that, we had all the ones at prime time. We had, you know, Kevin Smith, you know, Leon Lev. We had you go down the list, man, of, of all the great players or Super Bowl players um, from the 96 team. And that was still there. How, how much time do you get to spend with all those guys? Uh it's a little bit different. We, we, during our time, it's, it's, it's weird. Like college, you had to go to the dorm. You had to go eat at the can. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had to go and you're on your schedule with the team schedule where it's a little bit more different because the, some of those guys are older. I was 22, 22 years old or so. I got into the league and, um, and some guys are 30, 34, have family, you know what I mean? They had their own life. And, and for us, we're like, oh, okay, single guys, uh, you know what I mean? We hang out. You know I mean, whatever it is. So you don't get to spend a lot of time with them. And and a lot of guys like myself, I didn't really do much outside, meaning that I didn't party as uh, a lot. You know, I went out and did some stuff, but I didn't really party a lot. So I was so focused. And, and I think that was the reason that, my, that Darren was talking about. Like, man, you got some, all these guys that goes out, do stuff. And guess what? Hey, pride is not right, man. You ain't gonna last long in this league. And, um, and so, um, that's the hardest part, I think, to to have a team. Or even though you show up to work every morning and you, you're there, you practice, and you know the whistle blows, and after you watch a little film with them at the end, they go home, they depart, you go home, and and next day to go to work again. So it's just like a work. Yeah, but, just um, showing up to work. Yeah, so just, time that, the time it's fun. It's a locker room where it does get more relaxing, and you travel with the team and be able to go eat somewhere before the meeting starts. I think that's what the best part that we miss. Uh, for me, it was um, we always had a group above 10, 12, 15 guys, which is a lot for 44, 50 guys that travels every every game. So every home, every way game, we used to travel and we'll find a restaurant. And uh, for example, it'd be go to Philadelphia. It's going to be Geno's. It's going to be Pat. You know what I mean? It's going to be Philly cheesesteaks. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, so uh, we'll take a group of guys and we'll drive down the street in the car. It's cab back then. And and we'll, we'll figure out who wants to eat what. And we'll hang out, and that's the time we hang out before a meeting starts and get focused again. When we go back to the meetings and and we watch start watching film, that's when you know you got to turn that switch. Now, now the mindset kind of, hey, this is a business right, right. trip. But um, you know, we go to New England, we get the clam chowder, we go to you know barbecue place in Kansas City. You got you, so you know the best, you know the best place. I was telling somebody the other day, the best food though 
from all my years of traveling all around the country, all these great cities, all these places known for food, was in LA. And um, Larry Ooh. Allen from Sonoma State, Hall of Famer Larry Allen, he grew up there in, in, in South Central. So we go play the Raiders and San Francisco, uh, the 49ers. Uh, so every time we play those teams on the West Coast, on the bus on the way after the game, Larry's family will have his trays of trays of just barbecue ribs, brisket. Oh man, he was just back in the bus. We just sit down and just eat a couple of those. But those are the best. Though. Like 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 stuff like that was um, phenomenal. Um, you talk about God and the religious experience for your life a lot. Um, what when did that like become strong in your life? Yeah, you know what's crazy growing up Catholic, it becomes a, you know, scheduled, right? You wake up, you do the rosary, mom. If you're up early enough, you, you jump in and do some rosary with her. Um, you go mass daily if you can. Uh, weekend for sure on Sundays. If you go Saturday night, you might be able to get a pass on Sunday if you got something going on. And uh, But really, my faith really hit me with all I went through in 1999. I went to a and I, I was I was just got done and got drafted by the Cowboys. My high school workshop teacher, Bill Bailey, moved to Dallas a year before, which is my, I was a senior at A&M, and became a school teacher in Dallas. And um, he was a chaplain, uh, and he's going to ministry, ministry school up in Dallas. Uh, I think Dallas the, Theology of Dallas, Theology School of Dallas. So right before we went to training camp, I go, hey, Mr. Bailey, I just got this apartment. Um, I need to borrow your truck. I didn't have a truck. Uh, I need to borrow your truck to pull this U-Haul to uh, go get my TV, couch, and bed. It's one of the three things I had in college. And, uh, and he goes, I'll go with you. So we went to go rent a U-Haul. And for three hours down from Dallas to College Station, we talked about Jesus and three hours back, we talked about Jesus. And, um, and that's when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I knew, I, I knew I was missing something. You know what I mean? I, I, I was like, why did God chose me? You know I mean? You, you think about hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese boys, maybe millions of Vietnamese boys that came over from Vietnam during the war. Why did God chose me? Why did he give me the opportunity to play for AM, to play for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and I think that's, it, it, it hit me then. And I didn't know, I just knew I accepted Jesus Christ and know I'm gonna live my life through Jesus. But I didn't know the purpose of it. And, and as you grow older, the next, the last 20, I guess it's 20, 22 years now that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And every year, July 2nd of 1999, since then, July 2nd, I call and I text Mr. Bailey or Coach Bailey every time and I tell him, thank you. You know what I mean? And, and for me, it's just a purpose now is that how do I can help others to find Jesus? And, and I know it's hard and it's tough and it's a challenge. And am I an influencer today? Am I an influencer today to Jesus, to these kids that I interact with? You know, 75% of my employees are student, high school students. And, and, and what are they, which path are they taking? And, and uh, I know my leadership group, uh, they all believe in Jesus. And, uh, and we try to trickle that down to get them. And, 
and we do quite a bit with fellowship of Christian athletes and we do stuff and and for me that's how I accepted Jesus and now I practice and I realize that I'm not perfect there's only one perfect person that was him and and for me it's you know my kids and my family and also uh, my employees is how do I give them to know Jesus and to accept Jesus and know that hey it's not always going to be easy can I, can I ask you okay so in 1999 with uh mr bailey uh talking about jesus christ but you're catholic right and so to accept jesus uh in the way that you're talking about is a departure from how we grew up as catholics right i, I exactly and and you know what my mom finally accepted it um shoot i, I went down 99 so I really i still was a catholic i still had i got I married my wife in its catholic church I still went through it as a Catholic, but I think as I went on, uh, I would tell you when we, 2000 and, what's it now, 2021, so 2012, 15, 2015, 16, uh, my daughter was, probably she was what? Um, she was, I can do math. 10, 13. She was 13 or 14. 13, 14 years old. 13. And um, and what's crazy, we went to a Catholic church. And I'm not saying anything about the Catholic. I love the Catholic church. I love the tradition. I love the culture. I love, I love what they what it represent. And I felt like my kids wasn't getting the whole. We were losing them in the church because yeah, you do the rosary, you sit down and there's a sermon and they do the first reading of the Old Testament and do the second reading of the New Testament. And then they talk about the sermon. And during that time, the, really, the priest doesn't really elaborate on the why. You know what I mean? Why they correlate uh, the New and the Old Testament together. So I felt like they're like, there's in the ceiling, da, 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 distracted. And then and I saw my nieces and nephews were the same. And I was like, God, there's something. So my wife and I talked about it. It's like, hey, let's try some different church. So we went to a Southern Baptist church and, you know, with music. So we listened to Christian music all the time. And, well, it kind of hit home. And I bet you in the last six years or so, five to five years, that we really became more of a Bible-centered life. That has changed our life. You know what I mean? We talk about Bible. My kids who are, I got two boys that are six years old, and they can reverse some, you know what I mean, some Bible verses in which, should I, I wish... You know, we did this with my kids younger and my, my, when they were younger, but it is what it is. And and they know how important Jesus is. And they finished and, my my sentence about anything I talk about, about Jesus. And and I think that's uh, uh, not sending away from the Catholic. We, I love the Catholic faith and what they believe in. And, and a lot of my family, my, my mom still practices uh, Catholic. Um, so she still do her, her, her deal. That's all she, you know, I mean, that's what she knows. But, but, but how me, did she react to you becoming a uh, Baptist? Well, I didn't really, I, I think it's just understand that as long as we have Jesus. And I keep telling her, I was like, at the end of the day, it's Jesus. You know, the religion is started by human. You know what I mean? It's not where, you know, at the end of the day, yes, it's Jesus Christ. But, you know, you have Lutheran, you have, because my wife was Lutheran, she converted to Catholic. And then also now we're Baptist, where, you know, we're Bible-based more than anything. You know, I say our Baptist because it's Southern Baptist. We talk about the Bible and, and, and we dissect the Bible. And I think that's what's... Uh, very entertaining to me, and I get more out of it because you know, like David Jeremiah is one of the guys I listen to. He's out in South Carolina, in San Diego. He's in San Diego, and uh, a turning point out there. And he he does an unbelievable job of of, of explaining the Bible 
when and I think that's what's it, it makes you more stay hungry I guess where the Catholic faith for me it felt like it's really routine and this is what very you do routine, yeah. very routine yeah and I felt like yeah the growth is very small but your faith grows obviously uh, the relationship and and how you pray and you meditate uh, that's huge in the Catholic faith where here it's more of a conversation with your Lord and Savior. Yeah. The, you know, when I, when I look out into the landscape of, of the U S it's very, uh, you know, a lot of people are faith-based in the, in the Midwest and then out in the coast, like where I live, you know, it, there's no real talk of any religion, you know, uh, I grew up a Catholic, but mm-hmm. you know, in my life, it's very secular and it's very, you know, that's just the way it is out out here in the coast it's like two different countries mm-hmm. almost you know um yeah. do you do you find that to be uh a sad thing for you do you find oh, that yeah. Be- yeah i think it's sad everywhere even now like you think about even the kids like um some of these kids um don't we know and they don't want to know and they have an excuse for it or uh you know people i don't know i don't know what it is i, I feel like I feel like that the religion or or having faith in in Jesus that they, it's it's not, because uh, if if it wasn't for God and Jesus and I wouldn't be here. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Like yeah, like my mom was on a boat. She could have passed away. You know, having a miscarriage. She was pregnant. You know, she we were out there in the sea, leaving the country, being a uh, so stranded out there in the in, in the ocean for for a few days, but um. But I think it's sad because nowadays that the social media takes so much away from these kids of what to believe. And and what is it? Is it, oh, is it me getting all the likes? What I post makes me more acceptance. And and I think that we get a we get a false kind of um uh security and and athletes, even athletes, like for myself, like you know, I was going through a deal and there was a guy named Jerm. Joe Edelman from uh, DC, he spoke at one of our chapel, chapel, uh, chapel during um, our time with the Cowboys. And he said that, you know, why does a athlete is put on a pedestal? Why do we, why is that? Oh no, you know, the, the, the masculinity of, of, of a guy is because, oh, he can play athlete. He said, you know, whatever it is, he said, you can't, it's just a, it, it would be there, but guess what? Like what we talked about before, it's like eventually it'll fade away and he will not, you know what I mean? It's almost like uh, expectations, you know, certain expectations that you have. Guess what? Most, most likely you'll be disappointed with your expectations. You know what I mean? And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have Christ in your life. Now you understand that, Hey, that's part of it. And they have a plan, you know, everything there, there's always a plan for things that happen. You know, when you, when you, if it's selfishly, unselfishly, whatever it is, uh, it's always going to be difficult um, to if you don't have something else. If you think right. it's all about you and hey, I did it myself and and I'm better than you and you know what I mean. Com- comparison is a thief of joy and yeah. and that's the hardest part. And I think we live in the world that that's what's going on. It's that hey, sports and stuff like that where shoot, you go to Sunday and freaking hey there's more people outside playing sports on the way to church than ever you know what i mean it's like are they going to church at all they're just going to worry about oh being the next pele or the next lebron i don't know you know what i mean it's just like sports have taken over or not just sport but entertainment and all that anything yeah. yeah so really really churches 
and community um, Christ, I think, has really been on the second on on the on the stovetop, I guess, moved to the side. Mm-hmm. It's not as important as it used to be. We grew up, guess what? Shoot. Hey, Sunday, you're going to church, we're going to church Catholic or wherever. But how did you yeah, never rebel up. against, you know, that way of life growing up? And why did never? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean it, it, it's kind of hard when you walk in, in the middle of the night and your mom's kneeling down crying. You know what I mean? And you witness that she, she's, you know, she's worried to death about you. And, and all she has is hope in Jesus. You know, she's doing her rosary. And now I have to I'll tell you, when I used to travel and um, in high school, we used to play Ray games. She didn't go to the Ray games, obviously. But um, I used to get home at midnight, one o'clock. I walk in the door. And guess who's awake? She is. And guess what she's doing? She's on her knees praying. And and I think that's why I never um, abandoned abandoned and rebellish about anything because I knew, shoot, hey, that was her deal. That's the only thing she can hold on to. Wow. And then I think that's what we do now. That's what I can hold on to is I know, hey, this Bible and Jesus Christ and, and the word of God. What what um, what was the amount of time that you played for the Cowboys and what was the sort of the end? What was that like? <laughs> so I played seven years, uh, seven seasons with the, the, the Cowboys. And, you know, it went by fast, man. I realized how fast it went by. You better think back about it. I, you know, I thought I was going to play it. So I was going into my seventh season, the best I ever felt. Um, I was like, golly, I can play another three. And I think if you ask any player in the National Football League that has played two, three, four years, what's their goal? 99% of them say, hey, double digit. I want to make it to 10. That's that's everybody's goal, to make it 10 right. years. And um, and after that offseason, I was like, golly, I felt good. And then right at minicamp, our last mini camp before we left to go to, to go home for the summer break, which we have about three weeks or so summer break before training camp starts. And uh, I got hit right in the knee and I had a, a, an M Oh, I had to go to my knee scope because I had a, a meniscus tear. And, um, and I think I, I made a big mistake in that three weeks, right after that practice, I had a meniscus surgery and then I worked my house too too fast. I came back too fast, and um, I wasn't quite the same. And um, and it just hit home, man. It's like wow. I was like, dude, I can see the play, but I can't get there. Wow. All of a sudden, we're playing. I can't remember we're playing. Um, we were flying back home. Uh, I was sitting with Dan Campbell and Dexter Copley, and uh, and I told Dan, Dexter was on my left side on the aisle, and then Dan was inside because we had a seat in between. And Dan obviously was my Dan is now the the head coach of the Detroit Lions, and uh, he and I uh, sat there and um, and I told him Dan I don't think I can play anymore, man. I was like I can see the plays. We oh, I know exactly what it. My last game was uh, my uh, really it wasn't my last game, but my birthday on my thirtieth birthday we played San Francisco out in San Francisco, and I got the interception to win the game. Coach Parcells did not want to fly back to Texas because we're going to play the Raiders the following week. So we stayed in a hotel and that was the worst week of my life. Um, I um, had a stinger and then I had that knee issue and um, my knee was hurting so bad, so bad. And as you, as an athlete, you will know, Hey, you got to hydrate, 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 right? You got to drink all the time, you know, during football season, especially gallons and gallons of water in your body. And uh, I can tell you that in the middle of the night, I had to go to the restroom, but I was in so much pain, I would not get up. 
to walk to the restroom. Wow. I would hold it all the way to the morning. And um, and I knew during practice that week, uh, leading up to the um, Raiders game, um, had multiple stingers on my neck, and um, and it was it wasn't fun. I lost the fun, and I lost the edge. And in that one week, I knew I was done. And um, I called my wife and I told her, I think this is it, man. I don't know I can go through it anymore because I was suffering so much. Like uh, it was. It wasn't even fun for me. You know, I love the game. I love practice. And, and you can tell any coach, you you can ask any of my coaches and how I enjoy competition. But when I, you knew how hard I had to work during the to off get, season yeah. to get the edge. And now I got to go back and um, really reevaluate. And I, I didn't even make it through my last season, the seventh season. I think I played till Thanksgiving, which I lost about the last month of the season. So I missed about four or five games there at the end of the year. So, but you know, you know, say, you know. Yeah, I think they say the average is four years, right? In the three NFL, and yeah, three and a half. Well, and, take and a beating. say it again. You take a beating. Yeah. And you know, how, how's your body now? My body's good. You know, my knees. Um, obviously, um, I don't do any physical exercise. I just don't eat as much, and I play golf when I can. I swim once in a while. The hatch. I, I jump in the pool about every every other day or so, just to about five ten minutes, just to loosen up before in the morning. Just a little routine that I do, just to keep my mind off certain things. But um, my body feels good. Some days are, are better than others, obviously. But you know, it's just part of it. Yes, any football players that played a length of time, and I think it's just a build up too from playing so many games in college. Yeah. And then we got to the National Football League with Bill Parcells, his old school ways of coaching. I think he 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 took about five years of my career from me. <laughs> you know, we used to do all these drills, man. And and we're talking about Larry Allen and how good he was and how physical a, a specimen he was. And she we had to do a drill that we call five across me that were five yards across, and he'll blow a whistle, and Larry and I would go at it. And it's like, dude, this is freaking I'm hitting the brick wall. That's what I'm doing. And to see it but it's just building toughness to see how tough you are and if he can trust you in the trenches and, and see if he can is able to uh, compete and you know what's crazy that was my that was my third year with bill yeah my fourth oh my fourth year with bill and um and we still have to do those drills and i was like yeah you, you know when you play that long with somebody and always you're an undersized player but they will give you a pass but there's no such thing as Bill Parcells. <laughs> <laughs> now there, there's nobody right now, uh, Vietnamese kids that's on yeah. their path, right? To yeah, I, yeah, not that I know of. There was a kid out of Denton, Texas, that played high school football, but I don't know if he ended up playing in college at all. But uh, you know, when all this stuff was going on when I was in college, and um, and I was having some success in college late in my career, I thought it would. You open some gates and some barriers for some of these kids. Just go, hey, man, you go out there and play. And, you know, my nephews and them try to play. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's just, I don't know, I guess you have to be wired a little bit differently, I guess. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That, that's sure. a little bit yeah, that's a little bit disappointing. I, I wish I wish there was other Vietnamese American or even other Asian American pursuing the game of football because, you know, the football game, the, fo the game of football has taught me so much in life, um, life skills hard work, commitment, dedication, balance, scheduling. Um, you know, it's uh, the rewards of it, also the celebrations. So at the end of the day, you know, it taught us so much. 
so well, I wish I wish there was more kids out there of Asian descent. Yeah. What What did you do after you got out? So uh, I've been doing quite a bit of different things. Uh, now I, I used to I coach for the Cowboys for about three years, and then I decided to go down to A and M for a couple of years to coach um, for my for my um, college school there. And uh, we don't say alumni. That's why I always say I'm a former student. So um, I went out there for a couple of years. Thought I was going to finish my career coaching, but unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. A little bit disappointed what happened uh, with all the stuff that was going on that came down there and in Agilent when I was there coaching, but um, then left to do, I did ESPN radio for a couple of years. Uh, and then now I'm doing, I so I've been for the last five years, almost six years now, I've been working, um, I run a Chick-fil-A store here in Dallas, Fort Worth, really the Fort Worth area. Can you get into the, uh, what you're talking about? Uh, it was an, unfortunate experience at, at yeah you know when you are a former player and you go back to your school and you you assume that you know coaches coach and you allow them to coach he you know mike sherman did a phenomenal job in my opinion as a head coach of the texas a&m football team uh, during his tenure there and i was fortunate to be with him for two years to see the transformation of young men that he um, developed, guys like the Ryan Tannehill, the Jake Matthews, who are still in the National Football, Vaughn Miller, you know, I mean, stories that nobody knows that, you know, Vaughn Miller was sent home his sophomore year. He was kicked off the team, decided to quit, drive home back to Dallas. And um, and we got home. His dad said, hey, you got no place to sleep, man. You got to drive your butt back to College Station. You ain't gonna sleep in the house. So he drove back and he got suspended that's the off seat or that spring game and then comes back and you know look at his career it changed him if you ask von miller today what day how what changed him in college station he'll tell you mike sherman's the most influential person in his life and uh that that woke up call is where he at today as a human being as a person he's a great kid great great christian person obviously believe in jesus but you know i mean he wouldn't be the athlete he is or the player he is today if he didn't have mike sherman so stuff like that is stories, hundreds and hundreds of stories I can tell you. Uh, but, um, you know, we didn't win enough games, obviously. Uh, that year, I think we lost five games by a total of 12, 13 points or something like that. And uh, we didn't know Johnny Manziel. We had Johnny Manziel on the team, but we didn't know how great he was going to be as a player. But that's uh, the year before Johnny kind of kind of exploded on, on the scene of college football. But... Uh, so just because there was a little bit more decision making outside of the coaching staff that um, I was really disappointed knowing that, hey, no one's no one's safe, even, you know, I mean, yeah. for a player that came out of the university, a player that uh, was part of the university and want to be part of the university and trying to impact young men to become um, boys to become men, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it didn't happen that way. So it was kind of sad for me because I thought I was going to be, I moved my family down there and left, I left Cowboys to go down there. And I thought that was going to be a place where, you know, for the next 20, 30 years, I was going to spend my time because how much I love AM football and AM. And um, unfortunately, it didn't go the way that we're like. But you know what? Everything happens for a reason. I, I have no grudge against AM or anything like that. It's just that through the experience of the last few years with ESPN, with here, uh, Chick-fil-A, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. And, and and I wouldn't ask for, I learned so much through those times uh, at A&M. And so 
You know, uh, just hearing your story about that, it, it reminds me of there's, you know, you're a minority. You're a Vietnamese person with a lot of white guys, right? This is <laughs> this is the way that's the world that you that you came up in in the last 25 years. Or how much did you have to deal with? I mean, or was it because you're talented, you work hard, you don't have to deal with the politics of the racial politics side? Yeah, you know, I, I think you I think it's, you have to face it regardless. Um, I don't think the, you know, some are worse than others, uh, but I don't know. I, I think always been taught earlier, like I, like I told you earlier, sometimes, you know, going through what we went through in 75, come to America, living in Rockport and the tension that was going on. I think you put your nose down and you just grind, you know what I mean? You just block everything out and block all yeah. the noise. And, and we can, you know, it's, like, it's cliche what we say is just, hey, control what you can control. But really, that's really how I live. I was like, man, I don't worry about the noise outside. I don't worry about, you know, I got my family. I got things that I do. I got some friends and I got a business that I run. I'm going to be a good steward of what's entrusted me here with Chick-fil-A. And, and I think that's what, you know, when you have kids and you have things that goes on. It's, it's hard to worry about other stuff that you can't control. And then I think that's the biggest thing about people that's going on now. I was like, man, you worry too much about other stuff. Like, dog, why? You know I me. Mean? Everybody has problems. Everybody has issues. You know, if, if you worry too much about that, you're not even knowing what's going on with your own life. And when you're surrounded, and one of my saying uh, that I have at the store is uh, be where your feet is at. You know what I mean? Be at the moment, be at the present. You know I mean? You got things outside this building. When you come in this building, hey, look down. This is where you at. It's good advice. It's so really good uh, advice. Yeah, so just let... Just, just be at, be at the present and be at the moment. Have you, have you been to Vietnam? You've been back? I went to Vietnam one time when I, when I retired from the Cowboys, I went back in 2006 uh, with a business partner and, um, you know, we went back to Hanoi, which I couldn't tell my parents, you know, cause uh, they, they, they will be, I don't know, staying up all night, praying the whole time. But I was only there for a week. I didn't stay long, but God, what a beautiful country. Went back there and the food was phenomenal. Uh, we went back there for a business opportunity, and um, after reevaluating it, we thought it was not a good idea, so we didn't we didn't pursue it. Which, you know, I don't know what they're doing now. Now it's Hanoi. We went down to Hanoi, and then we went to Halong Bay, mm -hmm. uh, the seven one of the world. And we, they want to do all the casinos and hotels. So I don't know if they even pursued that. I, I don't know if they did that or not. But that was a presentation that the prime minister had uh, at the event that we went to. But um, you going back? Uh, you plan to go back anytime soon? I don't know. I would like to take my wife there soon. Uh, you know, I still got those six-year-old kids, so it's a little bit tougher. But yeah. um, you know, maybe I guess maybe when my daughter graduates from college, then the boys would be ten years old, which is a lot easier. So hopefully, four years if I do that. Four years from now. But my life, my wife loves this travel, so I need to take her so she'll have a chance to see what Vietnam is all about. Dad, you've been uh, an inspiration to many of us. Um, I remember being in the Marine Corps. And there were guys that uh, were huge fans of yours, uh, guys that loved the Dallas Cowboys. And, um, you know, it, it was a, a privilege and an honor to sit here with you today and, and, and listen to your story. And I really appreciate the time. And I know you're really busy, but thank you for taking the time to spend with me. Okay, you're welcome, Kenneth. Anytime, man. It was good. Have fun. Thank you so much. And uh, have a wonderful day and uh, hope to talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. I got my number, man. Anything, let me know. Thank you. Sure will. Thanks, Dad. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, 
and Chris O'Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.